Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. If you would stand as we read the king's word. Deuteronomy is in your Old Testament. Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 15. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of things that you did not feel, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you, for the Lord your God is in your midst, it is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Let us pray. O King of ages, we do come before your mighty and eternal throne to say thank you. We thank you, O God, that you have found such favor on us to reveal this mystery of, of the gospel unto us. We thank you, O Lord, that you have allowed us to come into your house of worship one more time to hear from your word. We thank you for the privilege of being able to say our God lives and our God cares and our God comforts. Lord, we thank you that we're able to come and to feast upon this word of God that is able to sustain us and it is our sustenance. And Father, even now, we pray that you will incline our hearts toward your testimonies because our hearts, lie, our hearts are deceitful and we don't desire you naturally. Father, I ask that you will open up our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your word because with our human eyes, we fail to see just how good you are. Father, I ask that you will unite our hearts because our hearts are divided between the things of God and the things of this world. Father, I ask that you will satisfy us this morning, that we will find contentment only in you. Father, please speak. For we are listening. Have your way. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. 
Amen. This morning, I want to tag this text, Connecting Faith and Function. Connecting Faith and Function. A little while ago, my wife and I, my, my, my sweetie, my, my rib, where my rib at? Gotcha. <laughs> There's times where we get an opportunity to put the babies down to bed and we sit and usually watch a show or two. And, and, and we're kind of nerdy. We like to watch documentaries. It, it could be a documentary about rocks and we'll find it interesting some way, somehow. So we happened to be watching television, and there was a documentary on the people of the Appalachian Mountains. And as they were going through talking about the people of the Appalachian Mountains, one segment began to talk about the chestnut trees and how the chestnut trees in this region was a, a wonderful source of not only food, but it, it, it brought animals because the animals would eat the chestnuts, so they were able to uh, hunt and and to use these trees for wood. So, and in this particular area of the Appalachian Mountains, it was filled with chestnut trees. So it was their number one source of like housing and, and food, but it was a tremendous benefit to the people in Appalachia. And as the segment went on, they said early in the 1900s, from where, still not quite sure, but a, a fungus was imported on some shipment. And this particular fungus was very, very destructive to the chestnut trees. So in early 1900s, a, a, a particular scientist began to notice that these chestnut trees were beginning to die off, to weather. And the, uh, the scientific account was every year this fungus spread about 25 miles. So if you were thinking about like concentric circles, out from the source of where this fungus had came, it was expanding and expanding in America to the point where it eventually reached this, this uh, Appalachian region and began to destroy all of these chestnut trees. These, these very trees that was the source and the sustenance and, and a protection and a good thing for the people. By 1940, they said some four billion chestnut trees had been lost to this fungus. Complete blight, devastation. This, this vicious fungus had came in and destroyed the lifeblood of, of an entire region. Even so that they even say now they have hope that possibly they'll be able to genetically engineer some type of, some type of genome that is able to uh, withstand this fungus but even now in the area, you can see how when the chestnut tree grows from the stumps, the chestnut trees from the roots, the roots are still living. The roots are still there. The, the roots aren't dead. And, and there are stumps where little sprouts would shoot out. But even the sprouts would die off because of this fungus when they get to the point where they're maturing. They would even die. So it's almost like you have the living dead in this region because the roots are living, but it, it, it can't grow. It, it, it won't shoot up because of this fungus. And as I, 
pondered this documentary and began to think about what was going on here. In many ways, this story of devastation reminds me of what is taking place in our homes and in our communities. It reminds me how I see so many roots of potential that never grow into strong and productive members for the, for the kingdom of God. Just like this fungus, a pernicious, evil, wicked lie has infected Christian homes across the land. A, a, a lie that is, that is vicious and, and sinister that if left unchecked will bring this nation to its knees. This is a lie that says we can love other things more than God and everything will still be okay. This lie tells us that we really don't have to connect our faith in God with the function of our everyday lives. This lie tells us that we really don't have to honor God. We really don't have to be that serious about our faith. And every day we hear it some way. Every day we're being told that you don't really have to connect your faith with your everyday lives on our jobs. We often hear, well, you know, up in here, you really don't want to talk about politics or religion. We're just going to leave that at home, okay? In our schools, we're being told to disconnect our faith with our function. Now, you, you, you can't pray up in here, no. And let a young person actually be on fire for Christ and want to bless their food. They're ostracized, ridiculed. What are are they doing? That's dumb. Every day we're being told in our our homes, this lie is pervasive to to the point where you want to pray with your family, but it just feels kind of weird. So you don't. This this lie is satanic and has devoured countless lives, leaving behind a trail of destruction. We we, we don't have to look far to see the effects of this lie, do we? No, we we don't. when, when When a father leaves his family, he believes this lie. When 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 a mother tells her child that they they don't need a father, we I don't need a man to raise his family, she believes this lie. When, when, a, when, when a son or a daughter huh, thinks the most important person in the world, besides themselves, of course, is like T.I. or Rihanna, then they believe the lie. No, everything is not okay in the land. But what if we really connected our faith in God with our daily functions? What if we really lived out what we say we believed on an everyday basis, that it, it, it is in our homes and the air that we breathe is, is so, so saturated with the things of God? What if we really took our orthodoxy, what we believe about God to be true, and wrapped it up and mixed it with our orthoproxy, how we live this boy out? And what if we just, the Christ, I'm not talking about those people who don't know Jesus. I'm just talking about Christians. If we just really put 
together the pieces. When the people of God are connected to God through Jesus, I believe order would come out of chaos. I, 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 I believe that joy will replace distress. I, I mean, I'm so crazy to believe that somebody will actually get the victory for a uh, time in their lives. And I don't, I'm not saying that just because I think it's true or I heard it's true. I, I say that because my Jesus told me so. And in John, the 15th chapter, he says that what? I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, you see, that, 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 that means connected. When you are abiding in Jesus, that means you're connected. So whoever is connected to me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Why? For apart from me, you can do nothing. Too often Christians are trying to live life apart from Jesus and wonder why they can't do anything. But Jesus already told you that you, you can't do nothing apart from me. But we keep trying to do something and get the same results. I mean, isn't that the definition of crazy? Trying to get different results, doing the same thing. In order for significant change to take place in, in our culture today, Christ must be lifted up and exalted everywhere. Hearts must change. And this land, if this land is going to thrive and, and flourish, it, it will do so only, only with God's hand of blessing on it. We cannot disconnect in any way from Jesus and be true followers of Christ. So, so, so with that said, how do we right this ship? How, how do we put things back together? How do we connect our faith and function? How, how do you walk out faith? This faith you have in God in your everyday life, demonstrating the love that you do have for God. Well, just like everything else, how do we? Well, let's look to the scriptures to see how we. In Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, Moses is laying out practical ways for 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 the children of Israel, but us also to how we can connect our faith with our function. And looking at it this morning, we're going to take a look at connecting our faith with function by reflecting on God's covenant love, by treasuring God primarily, by pursuing God completely, and telling of God intentionally. See, in the text, this is exactly what's going on. Moses is getting ready to take the children of Israel into the promised land, this long-awaited land, a land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This, this land flowing with milk and honey. And it is a, a culmination of over 400 years of hope and Moses is telling them that when they get there, to live out this faith in God practically every day. Don't get to the promised land thinking that you got there by yourself. 
But you got there when you went into covenant with God and he said, I will bless those who are in covenant with me. See, the nation of Israel had been wedded to the king, to the king of the universe. And it was time for them to settle in to this land and where they would display God's glory. So the first step in connecting your faith with function is reflecting on the covenant love of God. The the first things Christians must realize about connecting faith and function is the fact that we are in a covenant relationship with God. Before anything else takes place, understand that the, the follower of Christ, the Christian, is in a covenant relationship with God. Well, what is a covenant? I'm glad you asked. A covenant is an arrangement between two parties involving mutual obligations. Mutual obligations. So on one side of this covenant relationship that we have with God, he has some things that he has promised to do and he will do. On the other side of this covenant relationship, there are those who agree to this relationship that there are some things that we will do. When God redeems us and brings us to him, it's not, Lord, you redeemed me, so I'm done. In a covenant, you have some obligations, and part of those obligations is to live for him, to demonstrate your your love and your faithfulness to this covenant by living for him. Let's look at Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 3. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Now, Moses is pointing back to chapter 5, where he has just reviewed the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, you will see that it is a summation of the 613 laws that God gave to Israel to live. So at at the bottom there, 613 laws. That's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot of rules. Y'all think y'all got to buy that school. Y'all just got to wear a white shirt and black pants. This, this 613 13 laws. But those laws can be summed up into the Ten Commandments. They, 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 fought, they fit right in. So, as, as Moses is saying, okay, these, these are the commandments. And he goes on to say, what, what? That you may do them in the land to which you are going to possess it. Why? Why do we have these rules? Verse two, that you may fear the Lord, your God, you and your son and your son's son. This is to be generational. How do how how do we show fear for God? Moses says it. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. There is blessings and and obedience unto God. Israel was in this covenant relationship. In Exodus, the 19th chapter, on Mount Sinai, God God establishes the covenant and he says, get the people, let them come. All right, I I am drawing you into covenant. Will you go enter into covenant? They say yes, he say yes. All right, they are wedded together in this covenant relationship relationship. So now this people who wasn't a people 
now have a king in God. He has given them the law, which is their constitution. And he says, I'm going to give you a land and they will become a nation. All from this covenant relationship. So God's obligation is to, I'm going to write your constitution. I'm going to be your king. I'm going to help you get to this land. And when you get to this land, it's sweet. You just move in. You ain't got to build nothing. Just, just, just pick a house. Like, I want that one right there. Yeah. We get right on the, on the turn. Yeah, right on the corner. Or you just move in. He is doing all these things. So Moses is saying, as God is doing these things, then we, we have this responsibility to live according to his statutes and his command. That's, that's what marriage is. Marriage is a covenant relationship. Marriage is a divine institution given by God, Genesis 2. That's why we can't define marriage to what we want it to be. It's God's. It, it is his. We, we can't define it. It is a covenant, a divine, a divine covenant. And in this marriage, there are some responsibilities. When you are married, it is assumed that you will be faithful. That is an obligation in a marriage that I will be faithful. Huh. Talking with the kids. The kids come up with some crazy stuff. We, we, we was reading scripture. And my son asked me what divorce was, and we kind of explained. And he said, uh, he, he, he said, Dad, uh, you and mom won't do that. I said, boy, they'll have to kill me before I do that first. <laughs> it is an obligation. There's, there's no plan B. There's obligation that I will keep. I can say that I will keep that. So marriage is this obligation of faithfulness. Faithfulness. Now, now take a step back. How do you consider your relationship with God? Is, is he just your, uh, uh, a divine grandfather who, who gives you candy and uh, a supernatural Santa Claus who's able to see where you're going and protect you? Or are you wedded to the king of the universe? The very one who said, let it be, and it was, that's who you are in covenant with. Our, pers- our perspective, in order for our, our, our faith to be connected with our function, our perspective of who God is and what is going on needs to change. Instead of God is here for me, it is I'm here for God. So Moses is speaking to a people whose whole existence is based upon the fact that they are connected to God. God looked past all these other nations. And what did he do? He chose Abraham. And the scriptures testify, he said, I didn't pick you because you were sweet. I didn't pick you because you were the biggest, the strongest, the most numerous. I, I just chose you. Before God graciously chose Abraham, they, they were not a people. Abraham's family was, they were pagan worshipers. They, they didn't want God, but yet he chose them. And then in their exodus out of Egypt, see, this is their exodus. When you look at it, it's an example of just how far God is willing to go to keep his faithfulness to his covenant love. You have a people that God has covenant with. They are being oppressed and they are crying out to God. God says, I'm going to intervene. He sends plagues. 
He sends death and, and pestilence, and the people are free on their way out. God guides them by day and by night, and they, they get to the Red Sea. Uh, this, this Lord, the sea came out of nowhere. What you going to do? He opens the Red Sea, but not only. I, I love the text, the scripture. He not only opened it, but they walked, up, they walked on dry land. I, see, I like the details of scripture. They, they were in a galoshes kind of like trudging along. The, the word says dry land. And as they get to, to Sinai, they, they go into covenant with God. And, and, and in the wilderness, the people say, oh, God, I'm hungry. He says, boom, you got some food. And people say, oh, Lord, I'm thirsty. He said, boom, strike the walk. You got, you got water. He says, providing for all of their needs along the way. Why? Because he's faithful to his covenant love. And I like, I like when the scriptures talk about the battle of the Amalekites. And, and, and Joshua takes them out to, to battle the Amalekites. And as, as long as Moses is raising up holy hands, they're winning. But when he puts them down, they, they start to lose. So, so I, when I look at the text, I just kind of see Moses praising just, Lord, it's a battle that I can't fight. So I'm just going to praise my way out of it. I, I'm just going to praise my way through it. Because, Lord, we can't fight the Amalekites. But, but you said the battle is the Lord, so I'm just going to praise you in advance. I like what Debbie says. We, we praise him on credit sometimes because we know he's going to come through. So he was praising to connect our faith and function we, we need to take time as Christians to reflect on this covenant love. And just how far God is willing to go to keep you. How far has God gone to be in covenant with you? Has God delivered you from a house of slavery? Huh. He delivers people from the crack house. He delivers people from the whore house. He delivers people from the, the crazy house, from the, from the poor house. And, and some of us, he delivered us from them house parties. But God is a deliverer who brings you out. He is a God who shows up in the nick of time. And how many red seas has he parted from you? You're looking around. How am I going to get out of this? Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And you look up, and the way has been made plain, and you're walking through on dry land. Have you ever wondered where your next meal was going to come from sometimes? And you look up, and food is on the table, and clothes is on your back. What, what, what about those battles you fight them right, right now? What about those battles that you are fighting right now? Can we stop fighting so hard and give it to the Lord and show up with holy hands sometimes with a praise and just praise our way through knowing that our God is able? We are reminded of this. Because the scriptures testify to this. And when we think about this, 
How can we not connect our faith and God to our everyday lives? Faith and function are connected when we reflect on God's covenant love. But not only this, in order for Christians to connect their faith in God to the function of their lives, we must treasure God primarily. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is, verses 4 and 5 is, is in Hebrew called the Shema. And the Shema is the foundational principles of who God is for the people and how they are to respond. This is foundational. So it's foundational here because, namely, they are, they are going into a land in which they serve many gods, this, this polytheistic religion. There's a God for this and a God for that, and they're, they're coming into the land, and, 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 and what makes their God different is the fact that he is one in essence. You, you don't have to go to multiple places to, to try to serve and, and to try to, to show yourself worth. God is everything in one. And I, and I believe that in the text where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, Moses points back to that covenant. This God didn't just pick any people. He's our God. The Lord our God, the, the one that we love and, and loves us, he, he is the one that's taking us over. In other words, the Lord, is, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God is not merely to be first among other gods. He is to be God alone in our lives. See, this is a call to set our affections on God, to esteem God. I love how the, the Matthew Henry commentary puts it. He puts it this way. Our desire must be towards him, our delight in him, our dependence on him, and to him we must be entirely devoted. It must be a constant pleasure to us to think of him, to hear from him, speak to him, and serve him. We must love him as the Lord, the best of beings, most excellent and amiable in himself, as God, a God in covenant with us, our Father, and the most kind and bountiful of friends and benefactors. We are to see God as beautiful and treasure him as beautiful. See, in, in order for us to connect our, 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 our faith in God with the function of our, of our lives, then, then God must be important to us. But what does that look like? Any other God that wants to take his place must take a back seat. Any other God that wants to take God's place has to take a back seat. What does that mean? That, that, that means that if we treat our job as a God, then we are prioritizing our jobs over God. We are prioritizing the job's time, the, the job's demands, the, the, the fact that we're worried that if we don't have a job, how are we going to make it? God says, trust him. He is the God who provides. 
our, our, our activities become gods. We're, sometimes we get so busy. I, I don't see a rule anywhere that we have to be so busy. This is scheduled, that is scheduled. My wife and I have talked about it. it the kids, they, they get one program. One program. Because we ain't going to be driving everywhere, every day of the week, for all these kids. We ain't doing it. Because we need time as a family to worship God together. So our activities can't be God's themselves. Our entertainment. We will, we die to see the latest movie. We are at the 12 midnight premiere to see, uh, what was that vampire movie stuff with the girls and the, the wolf man and the vampire and the everybody? Yeah, we weren't, we weren't in line. People get in line for that stuff, and then Sunday morning, ain't nobody in Sunday school. That's how you know who's your God. If at Thanksgiving, you will camp out for two days to get a big screen, but you won't come to Wednesday night Bible study, who is your God? This is treasure God primarily. That's what this means. Practical. I'm just being real. Practical. Wisdom on how we connect our faith with our function. I'm, I'm, I'm sure some people think, you know what, that's, that's just too much, okay? Okay? If that's too much, can we consider Daniel? Daniel in the sixth chapter, it tells us that Daniel... He was a man of God who prayed daily. And, and, and God was promoting him in the kingdom. And you see that the haters start to circle around, and they see that the only thing they got against Daniel is the fact that he prays. So they go to the king and say, King, you need to make a law that if anyone prays to anybody else besides you for the next 30 days, gets put in the lion's den. And I love what the text says. After the king signed that into law, that whoever prays to anybody else will be thrown in the lion's den, the word says, Daniel heard what was going on, and then he went up to his room, and he prayed, and and gave thanks. As Christians, we we, we have to get so radical that even if it's against the law to serve our God, that we're willing to go to jail We're willing to die because we treasure him more than anything else. It takes commitment to treasure God primarily. And I like what A.W. Tozer says. I I quote it often because I love this, this quote. He says, the man who has God as his treasure has all things in one. If you have God, you got everything. You, you have everything. That's like, that's like when you go somewhere, you know, when you're young and your parents talking to you and you're about to go somewhere with your friends and, and you tell your children, all right, who, who got the keys? Well, Raymond got the keys. All right, you stay next to Raymond. Don't be with these other clowns because when it's time to go, you need a ride. And when it comes to who's going to provide for us, why are we worried about everybody else when God has the keys? 
He owns it all. Faith and function are connected when we treasure God primarily. In order for Christians to connect their faith in God, they reflect on their covenant love, they treasure God primarily, and then here in verses 5 and 6, they pursue God completely. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Simple. Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the second half of the Shema. And particularly this portion deals with the extent to which Israel was to pursue faithfulness and covenant with God. See, the the heart of a person, that is the the seat of... In the text here, when the Bible's talking about heart, it's not talking about wishy-washy feelings. Oh, I, I love you, God. No, it's talking about your intellect. The seed of your mind. We are to be uh, thinking about him and, and loving him. So, and then when, when it talks about the soul, it, it refers to our will, our desire, what we want to do. And then when the text talks about might, it talks about muchness, how much, how much will we pursue God? So that's what the text is talking about. So when he says heart, soul, and, and, and might, it's all that a person is. Israel was to love God with their entire essence, with all who they were. And and that drive would be fueled by the scripture that they placed in their heart. So you are to go hard for God, and what's going to fuel you and keep you going is the fact that you have the word of God in your heart. Pursuing God with tenacity. Since they were to pursue God with everything, there was to be no secret areas of sin in their lives. Because if if I'm giving everything to God, then I don't have room for secret, hidden sin. See, in Exodus 32, Israel was exposed because when Moses went away up to the mountain to get the law, what what did the text say? Moses was gone, and they like, Moses gone. We're just going to do what we want to do. They talk Aaron into getting, getting all their gold. They build a, a golden calf and begin to worship it. Now, that didn't just come out of nowhere. They knew how to worship other gods. They, it, deep down in them, they knew how to be sinful and how to be wicked because that's what they used to do. So that secret sin was, being, was manifesting right there, and they, they, they went back to what they knew. And when you are connecting your, your faith and function, you got to let go of what you used to do. So that means if you, if you are a follower of Christ, we, we can't go back. You, you don't go back. So my, my, my eyes can't go back to pornography, to, to, to the foolishness that's on television. I, I can't go back with my eyes. I can't go back with my ears. I can't listen to the same stuff. 
I can't, I can't hear those same words and I can't get into them same conversations because I, I need to be different now. My, my hands can't do what they you Ain't no telling what your hands used to do, but they can't do it no more because God has delivered you. My mouth, I, I can't say the things that I used to say. I can't use the words that I used to use. I can't, I can't just be yelling at people all the time. On a, on a sad note, let me chase this rabbit right quick. On a sad note, parenting is difficult. It, it, it can be frustrating at times. I encourage you, parents, stop yelling at your kids. Stop yelling at them. And, and, this, and this is why. This is why. When you yell at them, that, 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 that is manipulation. You are manipulating them into obedience. So you're trying to put your obedience in them. What we need to do as parents is to get the obedience out of their hearts, not on top of their hearts. So you ain't got to yell at them. What you do is say, you get, come on, let's go. Let's go. You know where we go. I ain't got to yell to say that. Let's go. You know what you did. Let's go. Did they know you ain't playing? You ain't told them four times already that you ain't playing. With our mouths as Christians, we can't, we can't go off. When, 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 when something comes to us in a manner that we don't like, we can't just go off anymore. We don't blow up. We, we, we take a step back, count to ten if you got to. But let the Holy Spirit begin to work in your heart. Just hold on. You ain't got to say nothing quick. Just hold on. The Spirit is, he working. He, he got a lot of sin to come through, but just hold on. And he's going to begin to change your, your responses. My feet, where I go, my stomach, what I eat, and, 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 and how I eat. Uh, I'm, getting, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in your business now. I'm meddling, I know, I know. But, we, but what are we talking about? Every part of me, heart, soul, might, that's what it's talking about. Every part of me needs to be connected to my faith. My mind's what I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about being sneaky or I'm not thinking of my next get-rich-quick scheme. I'm not, I'm not in that. My attitude, I, I can't walk around with a bad attitude all the time. People don't want to talk to you because you got a bad attitude all the time. No. All of you, all of you, all of you. This is what Hebrews is talking about when he says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, the right hand of the throne of God. When he was going into the new land, Moses was like, you got to take it off. Going to the land ready to serve. 
ready to live how God has called us to live. Free of that baggage from that old life. So our faith and function are connected when we pursue God completely. And then finally, we must tell of God intentionally. Tell of God intentionally. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. These are the statutes. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is where the rubber meets the road. The covenant community of Israel was to be a community who worshiped God and honored God collectively. Their their children were to be taught what it meant to be in covenant with God. And and in doing that, parents would be further grounded in their understanding of God's word. They they were to spur one another on to, to faithfulness by speaking to one another about the Lord daily. Their homes and and villages would be reflective of their faith in God and the God of Israel because their view of the world will come through the filter of of God's word. When you look at the text, it's, it's saying teach your children. Parents are the primary faith influencers. Parents are parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles. If you have any type of children in your home, in your care, and you know Christ, you are the primary faith influencer. Not the church, not the pastor, not the deacon. You are. So what that means is you have to take time to teach your children the word of God. Not, 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 I take them to church. No, where you sitting at the table, Bible's open, and you are teaching them the word of God. That is how how generational blessings occur because we know how to fill them up with bad stuff. Let's fill them up with the good stuff and then the generational changes will take place. The, the, The very things we want will happen. Stop filling them up with mess and give them the word of God. It's hard. I'm tired when I get home. I, I, when I come through the door, I, as bad as it is, when kids are running t- towards me saying, Daddy, 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 Daddy. Sometimes I'm tired. But you know what? I say, Lord, crucify me. Because when I die, my family lives. Because it's not about me. It's about them. And it's difficult, but I do it. Why? By the grace of God that he poured into me, I'm not sweet, but my God is. And that's the same God you serve. Carve out time. Start with one day. If you don't do it at all, if you don't do anything at home at all, start by praying. Family prayer. Once a day. After you get into that routine. One Bible study after dinner, what are in the mornings, one Bible study. One becomes two, two become and build on it. It's overwhelming when you think of it in, in, in one breath, but when it's like, how does a ant eat an elephant? 
one bite at a time. You just, just chump, just keep chump, just keep going. And then you look up and one day, man, you will look at your family and they're flourishing. They're flourishing because you've been feeding them the good food of God and not allowing them to sit at Satan's table and dine. I think I told you about that, the plan of my office. I, I am, I'm, I, I'm terrible when it comes to gardening and stuff. Brother Maceo, if I live on your block, I'll be that guy. That guy, that's, that's me. The Lord is working, he's helping me by his grace, but I'm that guy. I don't have a green thumb, whatever, so I have this plant, and like I was saying before, I, I find that this plant was struggling. <laughs> it had like one leaf leaning to the side, and it had been like that for a long time. And then one day I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to replant it, I'm going to get some soil, I'm going to get a big pot, I'm going to get a stick to help it grow up straight, and I'm actually going to water it. And I began to do that. And then it was like the plant forgave me for being so bad to it. All of a sudden, it started growing. <laughs> and I counted, yes, I counted, I got nine leaves now that are just out. I counted them, yes, I did. And they're just, it's flourishing. Why? I just took some time and gave it some attention. In our homes, give, give your husband some attention. In our homes, give your wife some attention. Give your children some attention. Don't let the business... The, I believe Satan has orchestrated busyness to keep us from doing what God has called us to do, and that is to teach our family about the word of God. When all that takes place, evangelism naturally comes out now because everyone around you is like, what is different about your family? Why are they thriving? Why are they just living a joyful life. I'm not, not prosperous lives. I get that. This is not a come to Jesus and everything's going to be all right type of uh, a, a sermon. Because happiness is different than joy. See, situations go up and down. I may be happy, I may not. But if I know Jesus, my joy is everlasting. So a home full of joy. A home full of promise. And that's, and that's what God is, is saying through Moses here. In our relationships, as, as when the text talks about rising, going to bed and rising, it's talking about time, all the time. Getting up and going to bed, all of life. So when you're in your relationships with your friends, if, if you don't have a set of friends that you can discuss the word of God with, you need another set of friends. I'm just being straight up because they can't do anything for you if they're not speaking the word of God back to you to sharpen you. The only, only other thing they can speak is what the world calls wisdom, which is set there to destroy you. Our community, we, we can't expect the government to have the answers to a spiritual problem. What we see before us is a direct, has direct correlation with spiritual warfare. You think, you think you, ba- the scripture says we battle not against flesh and blood. This is spiritual warfare out there in the streets. You battle that with the word of God through prayer, through teaching your family. Faith and function are connected when we tell of God 
intentionally. Intentionally. So as we see in the text, Moses is motivating the children of Israel to obey and serve and love God alone. And, and we begin to pick up this theme that, that, that God's grace demands a response. Because of God's grace, they were to love him completely. So how did Israel do? Do you think they actually listened to Moses and kept their faith in God? And in their everyday lives? When Judges, the second chapter, verse 6, watch this. When Moses, no, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord when? All the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the son of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in the Timnath in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. And all, and watch this, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for them. Now what happens? And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to the plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as, Lord, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had swore to them, and they were in terrible distress. One generation. After God had done all that he had done, all it took for one generation to blow it. The very next generation failed. The fact of the matter is Israel never lived up to their part of the covenant. But yet, after great patience by God, the covenant was broken and they were exiled from the promised land. Though Moses had pointed out everything they needed to do in order to live right before God, the Israelites still lacked the heart that actually yearned for God. Just as it looked hopeless for Adam and Eve after they sinned and were put out of the garden, so then it looked hopeless for the nation of Israel. That's depressing. That's difficult. But you know what? That's the point of the law. The whole point of the law that God had given them was to show them the fact that they couldn't keep it. The whole point of the law was to ex expose their sinfulness and to show them that they needed something besides themselves to make them right. The whole point of the law, the whole point of them having to do these deeds day after day was to show them 
that they could not be made right by deeds because they were always messing up. The law was there to show them that they needed a savior, a sinless sacrifice to save them because they could not do it. And just as God had done before, by his inexhaustible grace, he creates a new covenant for those who would trust in Jesus Christ and enter into covenant with him. That's what Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after the days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. It takes God to do something. Ezekiel. 36. Verse 24. And I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a, a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's like we need a heart transplant. The heart we have does not desire God. The heart we're born with is a heart that's bent on our our selfish pleasures and and what we want. But in the new covenant, God graciously performs open heart surgery. He doesn't fix your heart. He gives you a new heart, one that can't respond to him. And that's what he is doing in this new covenant. This covenant will not require the recipient to take the law and internalize it. The law will write the new covenant on their new hearts. This new covenant will be impossible to break because it has already been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This new covenant is ratified by the grace of Jesus Christ. In Titus 2, grace has appeared to do what? to enable us to renounce ungodliness so we can be self-controlled. How do we marry the faith that we say we have in God with how we live each and every moment of the day? We stand broken and humble before Jesus and cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Just like the laws were all summed up in one All of our obedience, all of that we need to be doing has been summed up in Christ. So when you cry out, Jesus saved me, and he saves you because his life is now your life, it's as if you kept all 613 laws perfectly because you are united with Christ Jesus. We dare not depend upon our own strength 
but uh, on the glorious grace with which God has blessed us in the beloved Jesus. We pursue perfect obedience to God, yet we rest in knowing Jesus has already done it. By God's grace, we reflect on the covenant love of God. By God's grace, we treasure God primarily. By God's grace, we pursue God completely. And by God's grace, we tell of God intentionally. For by grace, you have been saved. We, ne- we never live up to our part of the bargain. We never live up to our obligations in the covenant love that God has given to us. But we know who has. Jesus Christ. And when we repent of our sins and turn from living for myself and turn to live for him, we are as if we had not sinned at all. We get all his righteousness It's not just that God takes your sins away. No, he takes them away, then he adds more on top of that. We are made righteous. And him who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Holy Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Father, you have not called us to halfway live for you. You have called us to sell out and to go 